1: What's up, ladies and gentlemen? I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Real Talk with Zuby. On today's episode, we're going to be having an awesome conversation with Nate Schmidt, who is a young online entrepreneur. How's it going, Nate?
2: What's up, Zuby? Thanks for having me, man. It's going great.
1: That's all good, man. Thank you for jumping on the podcast. It's great to have you here. We were just about to uh, get into your story before the recording was even rolling. So I said, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let, let's wait. Let's, let's wait until the podcast is going so you don't need to tell it twice. Introduce yourself, man.
2: Yeah. So I think uh, hopefully I'll be able to you know provide a bit of value for, for your listeners and stuff and kind of open their eyes to a, a whole new world. So basically my story is uh, about this time last year, a little bit more than a year ago maybe, um, I was a broke college kid delivering pizza, kind of like your normal kid. I okay. was uh, going into my junior year, of college and my parents at the time had just made me start taking out loans you know i was fortunate enough that they uh paid for my college my first two years Mm -hmm. and then junior came along they're like all right you're on your own you gotta start taking out loans and i was like okay so i started taking out loans and then i realized like this is really expensive and i don't really want to do the average thing i didn't really want to get a job i didn't really want to work for anyone i have like kind of authority issues i don't like listening to people i've been fired from a bunch of different jobs so I was like, OK, so I'm, I'm spending all this money for something that is not really going to get me, you know, anything useful for what I want to do. So the, I was like, OK, so I need to figure something else out. And that's kind of when I started getting into this online stuff. Um, you know, I started Googling like I feel like this is how everyone kind of gets started with it is I started Googling like how to make money online yeah. and did that like like every single variation of that that you can think of. I did uh, read everything that I, I could find and then eventually I stumbled across this thing called copywriting. Um, copywriting is basically like, it's not anything about like copyright, like legal stuff. Uh, it's copyright, like W R I T E. So Mm -hmm. it's basically writing sales letters, writing ads, uh, and writing words that sell. It doesn't really matter. Like the, the platform, it could be a sales page, a landing page, a Facebook ad, even like something like a billboard. Um, anything that is an advertisement that has words in it is copy. And mm-hmm. so people get paid, you know, the people who write those words, they get paid to write copy because the quality of the copy determines, um, you know, how much it's able to sell. So I kind of started getting into that, learned all about that, read books, read articles, you know, studied other people, whatever. And, and then eventually sorry. I started doing it. And,
1: and this this is all last year. This is around this time last year. Yeah.
2: So this this was um, probably about October uh, is when I first started in uh, 2017, October of 2017. I started learning about all this stuff. And then, Uh, Once I felt like I had a decent grasp on it, I went out and I tried to, you know, get clients to write copy for. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that obviously didn't work out for a really long time. Um, You know, I kept trying to hit people up, kept getting rejected, whatever. Uh, Eventually, though, I was able to land a couple clients that would pay me, you know, like a grand or two a month to write sales emails for them, basically, is the kind of angle that I took. So I'd write emails to their list and then they'd pay me and I was all fine and dandy. And then that was kind of how I first got into all this stuff. And then... Once I was kind of at that point where I was making a little bit of money, I was like, okay, this is real. And then from there, you know, one of the mentors that I had at the time, he recommended that I build another source of income so that when I was trying to get clients, I wasn't needy because that's mm-hmm. like one of the biggest things that, you know, one of the biggest mistakes people make when trying to get clients is, you know, if you act needy, you're going to push people away, like yeah. the opposite of a magnet or something. I think that, that
1: goes for everything in sales, really, doesn't it?
2: It goes for everything in life. Yeah. Relati-
1: mean, relationships, everything. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So he recommended I did that. So I I was looking for another source of income and that's when I found something called drop shipping. Drop shipping is basically you sell products from like Chinese suppliers uh, on your own website and then you don't hold any inventory. That's like kind of the the huge thing about it that what makes it so accessible to the average person is that you don't have to buy inventory up front. You take these products from a website called AliExpress and then you put them on your own website. And then you send traffic to it via you know, Facebook ads or Instagram influencers, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then when someone buys something on your website, you, know, you just take their information and then you give it to the supplier. The supplier ships the product directly to them. And then you get to you know, keep the difference between what you're charging for it, what you paid for ads to acquire them, and then you know, what the actual product costs for you to buy. So if something's like $10 on a supplier's website, you sell it for $50, then you get to keep the difference. Yeah. So I kind of started getting into that. Um. Same kind of thing. It failed a lot at first. Eventually, though, you know, counseling it started working and from there was able to really scale it up. And that's kind of where we're at now.
1: OK, so when did you first start with the copywriting? When did you when did you land your first paid gig?
2: I think I landed my first paid gig in either December of 2017 or January of 2018. So about a year ago.
1: OK, and how long were you doing that for before you started dropshipping?
2: Not that long. Not that long at all. Maybe like a month or two. I think I I started trying to do dropshipping in January. Okay. And then I finally got something working, uh, like mid to late
1: February. Okay. So pretty fast, really?
2: Yeah. I mean, at the time, so I, once I was, you know, figuring all this stuff out, I dropped out of school, um, almost probably like exactly a year ago, like even to the day, almost something okay. like that. It was, it was the first day of class of the new semester in January. I remember I went to all my classes and at that point I was getting up to like the the higher level marketing classes because I was going to school for business and I had a concentration in marketing and I was getting to the higher level marketing classes and I went to all these classes and realized like this is not applicable at all to anything that I'm trying to do, you know, because at that point I'd already been doing copywriting, Um, you know, I'd already been learning that. I'd just gotten a client or two and I was like, okay, this is not even relevant whatsoever. So Hmm. that same day I actually made my first sale uh, with dropshipping. Okay. And then at that point I was like, all right, you know what? Screw school. I'm going to drop out. And then I kind of made a deal with my parents where, you know, I was on my own. Um, and that's why I was delivering pizza. Cause I had to pay for my rent and stuff. Yeah. But I was basically on my own. And then we made a deal that I could like take a semester off. And then if I was able to support myself by the end of it, mm-hmm. then, you know, whatever you're yeah. on your own. Yeah. And then if not, then I'd have to go back to school. Okay. So that really hard deadline, like, motivated the you know the absolute hell out of me and I literally worked on this stuff like every single waking moment of you know of my life like twelve hours a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How old are you? I'm 21.
1: Twenty-one. Okay. So you and you were in your junior year of college, is that right? Yep, correct. Okay. So to the UK listeners, are the the way it's done here is a little bit different. So junior year, that is, is that third year?
2: Yeah. Right? Junior year is third year.
1: Third year. Okay. So to anyone in the UK, that's a uh, third year. So you were, so you're more than halfway through You're most of the way. Yeah. Through.
2: Yeah. So I dropped out. Like if, if, if college is eight semesters <coughs> total, I dropped out after my fifth one. So okay. people told me that that was, you know, like a terrible decision, right? Like you're so close. Why don't you just finish? Sure. Um, and I'm so glad that I didn't listen to them <laughs> because <laughs> it was one of the best decisions that I ever made.
1: Yeah. Everywhere. But especially in the U.S., I know college can, incur some pretty huge debts as well in terms of the tuition fees and all the other associated costs. Yeah. So I'm assuming part of why you said it was a good decision is some of that cost based as well, just in terms of spending money versus making absolutely.
2: it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's kids like I have friends and stuff who they're still in school. And when they graduate, like most of them will be graduating uh, this semester now. Mm. So when they graduate, they're going to have $40,000, $60,000 in debt, yeah. and then you know, that doesn't even guarantee you a job anymore. I don't have a source for this, so I don't know how accurate this is, but I saw something that said something like 40 or 44% of college graduates don't work a job in their you know, field of whatever they studied. Okay, yeah. So like, I think it used to be a really good decision to go to college. It was like almost guaranteed you'd get a decent job if you got a yeah. college degree. Now yeah. it's not so much the case. And not only that, but the, the cost of college has skyrocketed. It is so much more expensive, at least in the U.S. I, I don't really know. I know in other countries it's, it tends yeah. to be less expensive and it it's, tends to be more subsidized by the government.
1: It's considerably less in the U.K. than it is in the U.S. But over the last decade to two decades, I mean, it's gone from being essentially pretty much free and pretty much completely subsidized by the government taxpayer taxpayer money, I think. I don't want to put an exact number on it, but I think in the early 90s and earlier than that, I'm pretty sure it was pretty much all paid for. And then even when I was in university, so I graduated 11 years ago. And when I was in university, about two years after I left is when they started introducing what they called the top-up fees, which I think pretty much, I want to say tripled the cost of it in the UK. Wow. Even with that tripling, it's still considerably less than what it is in the U.S. in general, barring scholarships and stuff like that. But it's uh, still a pretty hefty amount. I think the average student debt in the U.K. is probably also, you know, I think it's probably somewhere between 20 and 35,000 pounds. So not that far off, not that far off, you know, a little bit less than the U.S. So what would that be? That would be like maybe 30 to 40 thousand dollars, something like that so it is, yeah. it is a lot of money it is a lot of money I mean it's funny because I'm I mean I'm an Oxford University graduate so I went to one of the one of the top universities in the in the country and the world and even for myself just in the way that so many things have shifted over the last decade 10-15 years ago it was very easy you know if I was talking to a talking to a, someone younger than me pretty much recommend university for everybody because there was a lot to potentially gain and The cost wasn't that much so it was kind of like you you might as well especially if you're not sure what you want to do but to be honest with you 10 years later now i would hesitate to recommend it to everybody you know i think there's certain people if you've got a certain vocation certain occupations you want to do you want to be a doctor you want to be a engineer you want to be, you know, to so go into certain professional fields, you want to be a lawyer, you, you need those degrees. There's no question there. But I think yeah. if you do want to do something more entrepreneurial or business-based or just something a little less vocational, I do think people need to weigh up the pros and cons a lot more seriously. It's a very individual thing. I don't think you can kind of just as a blanket statement now say, yeah, everybody should just go to college because that could be bad advice. That could be terrible advice for a lot of people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the main problem, at least here in the U S that I see is that it's like the, just the common thing. People don't really think about whether or not they're going to go to college. Their parents have just been expecting them to go to college their entire lives. So they get out of high school at like 18. They have no idea what they want to do, but then they're still going to college and they're just kind of guessing. like, oh, maybe I want to do this. Maybe I want to do this, whatever. But that's a really, really, really expensive way to figure out what you want to do. And yeah. if, if your parents are paying for it, that might be a different story. Mm-hmm. But if you have to pay for it, if you have to take out thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in student loans just to figure out what you want to do, like there's other ways to do that. Yeah. And the worst part, in my opinion, is that college doesn't really teach you the skills that you need to be successful, not, not only just in business, but in life. Sure. Right, you get out of college, you have that degree, but no matter what job you get, you're still going to have to go through really intensive training with that job. Training that you probably could have done without actually going to college. You just got that degree, and because you know that's what is expected.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But and that is how it's been. You know, companies, a lot of companies won't hire you unless you have a degree. But now that tide is kind of shifting. Like a lot yeah. of big companies, I want to say like Google, IBM. Um, and I think there's a couple other ones have removed their requirement for a college degree because some of the brightest and smartest and hardest working people, you know, that might not be the best route for them. And these companies sure. are are slowly starting to realize that. And I think that that's a really good sign. But again, the, the college system is so ingrained into our society, into our culture, sure. that it's going to be a very, very, very long time before any significant changes in that respect happen.
1: Yeah, I think what you know I think it will happen in the next I want to say the next 2 decades. I think there will be a big shift cuz there's already so many resources as I'm sure you know online to learn stuff. I think the two sort of roadblocks or hurdles I think are number 1 the accreditation, so actually getting something saying, you know, if you complete an online course, you don't get a you don't get a degree unless it's an online university. So you could co- learn all this stuff. You could learn how to, I don't know, program. You could learn how to do some Java programming completely online, but you don't get a computer science degree or some or a Java something saying you've really right. learned this. Right. So people don't recognize that. And then I think number two is just that ingrained prestige. So obviously, if you go to certain, you know, especially if you go to certain colleges or universities, you know, you go to Harvard, you go to Columbia, you go to Yale in the UK, you know, you go to LSE or Oxford or Cambridge or Durham and people people just know those names. So there's a certain degree of prestige like, oh, okay, this, this person must be, they must be smart, they must be of a certain caliber because people just hear the name and they associate that with prestige. So I think a lot of the value is from those two things. But in terms of the practicality, in terms of what people are really learning, what people really know, how smart they are, how they can apply it. Needless to say, there are tons of extremely smart people who have degrees, but there's also tons of extremely smart people who do not. So it's not really like, uh, I think, I think it'll take some time. So it wouldn't shock me if in, I don't know, 2039, you've got just online universities with accreditation, with prestige and all that. And you can cut, I, I, cause I, I just don't think those kind of costs are sustainable. You know, you can't have people coming out with now 50, 60, 70, hundred thousand dollar debt and you know then going and working in 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 Starbucks or in a bookshop or something and something something's going to affect that. I just think free market if you've got something of a free market it will correct itself eventually and either the the cost will have to come down or other alternatives will come in and it'll get disrupted. I do think it'll get disrupted.
2: Yeah, I think it will eventually. I think that more and more like people are shifting towards and it, it, again it's it's a slow process mm. but Like, for example, in in marketing, like I never, ever recommend that if marketing is what you want to do, if that's what you want to get into, I can never, ever in my entire life recommend that you go to college and get a degree for it. Because, like, for example, a couple of my buddies, that's exactly what they did. Right. You know, they're going to college. They're about to get their marketing degrees. Now, if you think about, you know, they have their resumes. And then if you would compare that to mine, right, if I was trying to get hired by some of these companies that they were trying to get hired by, um, you know, they have their degrees, they have whatever clubs and extracurricular activities they were in, whatever internships they had. Okay, great. Now, if you, you compare that, like the typical resume, and like, I'm not like trying to brag here or anything, but compare that if I were to make a resume, like, obviously, I don't, even, I don't have a resume. But um, if I were to make a resume, you know, it says college dropout doesn't have a degree. All right, red flag immediately. Yeah. But then you, you keep reading. And then it's like, oh, accomplishments, Uh, generated 1.3 million in revenue with e-commerce last year, something like that, or, you know, built a 5,000 person email list or, you know, built a 20,000 organic Twitter following, something like all all these different things that I've been able to accomplish over the past year. And then you look at these things, these are qualifications, you know, these are certificates, and then you have results. And nine times out of 10, I mean, I guarantee you that if I wanted to go get a job, like a marketing job somewhere, I could get a six-figure marketing job like that. Yeah. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't even be a challenge because I have those results. And I think that that's where the, you know, where it's going to eventually get to is that that's what people are going to care about. They're going to care about the results that you can get, the results that you've been able to get in the past way more so than, you know, your qualifications that a degree, a piece of paper,
1: whatever. Yeah, man. So I've, I've got a question. What set you, cause obviously you're a young guy, you're, you're 21. So I'm guessing you started this when you were 20, really. Yep. So what, what prompted you? To, you said you had that moment where you realized, you know, this isn't this university experience degree is not going to get me to where I want. Like, how long had you been thinking about that? I mean, as a teenager, were you already doing entrepreneurial stuff? Had you always been an outside the box thinker in that way? What What made you, is there something in you Yet, that made you take that path?
2: Like, I think that to an extent, some people are born with just that, that entrepreneurial spirit mm-hmm. where it's just kind of like something that's inside them. Now I was fortunate enough growing up, both of my parents were entrepreneurs. Um, okay. you know, my mom was a doctor who owned her own, you know, her own practice. And okay. then my dad worked in like software sales, he had like his own company. Um, now that ended up like he got sued and that went under, and you know, now he's not an entrepreneur anymore, whatever. Sure. Um, so I've seen like both sides of it. But being raised in that environment where my parents, you know, they could take time off whenever they wanted to. They could structure their schedules so that they could pick, you know, me and my sister up from school and spend time with us and they could, you know, make it so that they can work when they want to. And I was exposed to that growing up. So I think that that really that was really good for for me because it made me not ever want to work a typical job because sure. I've seen the freedom that it's allowed them. So I think that, that was a, a big thing. Um, when I was in high school and stuff, I did have like some sort of an entrepreneurial spirit, I guess. Um, I started like kind of a mobile car detailing company with okay. um, with one of my buddies but that never really went anywhere. I mean, I think we we probably made like a couple grand, but yeah. I was, I was so lazy and I was so entitled and I felt like, you know, just because <laughs> I thought, I, I thought that, um, you know, I had that mindset that I just deserved to make money. Yeah. That's not how it works. How did you so even, I, how did
1: you even learn how to do that? I mean, car detailing, were you doing it yourself? How did you pick I'd it up? I worked
2: at, I worked at car washes, um, oh, okay. you know, in high school and stuff. So I kind of knew the basics of it. And then I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward, right? Okay. You, you know, you, you see dirty stuff, you clean it, you just make sure it, that yeah. it looks all good. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty simple, but yeah, so I did that a little bit, but I, again, I was just, I was lazy, man. I was entitled. I, I didn't actually want to do any work. So, you know, I, I've wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was like 15 probably, Okay. but I never actually did anything. I never actually like really took a massive action until I was about 20.
1: Okay. That's still very early.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I was fortunate enough to—I was fortunate enough to—to to at least realize it like this early. Yeah. But I, I, you know, sometimes I think about—imagine if I had realized it when I was fifteen. You know, yeah. I—I'd be a multimillionaire by now. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, it'd be nuts. But you know, you can't go back and change the past. So like I guess you just
1: gotta—you—you got time, man. Don't worry. You've got people here who will be like fifty and who are like, oh, they're—you know—they'll—they'll they'll have that realization now. Yeah, now. No, that's most, true. That's true. I don't think most people are supposed to be entrepreneurs. I think if everybody I think if everybody had that mindset, society might <laughs> might collapse in on itself. So it's probably quite yeah. good that, you know, people who think like that are somewhat few and far between. Yeah, I mean it's it's a really it's a, it's an amazing story, so I would I do want to say congratulations because that's that's yeah, awesome. man, I
2: appreciate it. I appreciate that's, it. that's that's
1: awesome. So, I mean, can you talk a little bit more about the about the the process? December 2017 to February 2018, when you did both the copywriting and the dropshipping, and you really got those models working for you. I mean, what sort of, to begin with, what resources did you, did you look to? So for someone who's listening and is thinking, wow, that, sound, that sounds dope, I'd love to you know, either make some extra side money or potentially end up working online full time, where would you direct them?
2: Yeah, the biggest thing to understand like before you even get to the resources part is that the way that you make money online is by first having skills that can generate money. You okay. know, I call those like you know high ROI skills, mm-hmm. skills that can help other businesses make money and skills that will help you start your own business. So there's really only two skills in my opinion. There's obviously others, but the two biggest ones are going to be paid traffic like Facebook ads, Google ads and stuff like that and then copywriting. Like those okay. are really going to be the the two big things because with copywriting, you know, you can rearrange the words on someone's sales page, their landing page, whatever, and then if it was converting at say two percent, and you can get it to convert at four percent, then you've just doubled their sales by changing up the words on their page. Sure. So that's a higher ROI skill because you know, that's a lot more money, and yeah. you know, you can get a cut of that. You know, if you have that skill, and then you know, on the, the traffic side of things, you know, if someone has a business and say they have, you know, it's an e-commerce business, they get a thousand website visitors a day. And you know they're making whatever five hundred dollars a day from that. If you could get them ten thousand website visitors a day, then you would be making them ten times more money. Yeah. And then you know they would pay you a percentage of that. So those are like the the main skills that you're going to want to focus on. Now, I would say copywriting is going to be something that you just want to start off with. And when I say copywriting, and like the the all encompassing version of that, I guess is called direct response marketing. Okay. So that's basically marketing that is meant to get a direct response. Like, it's not like when you see an ad on TV for Coca-Cola, they're not like, go here to buy Coca-Cola right now. It's just like yep. an ad that shows you, you know, whatever reminds you that it exists. Yep. Direct response is like, you know, all right, we have this offer. Um, you have, you know, for whatever reason, we think that you're primed for this offer. Um, if you want to buy this right now, go here, you can buy it right now. That's yep. direct response.
1: It's a little so, bit more like infomercial marketing or old school, yeah. how places like, I think, I think in the U.S., that's how places like Sears, and I want to say JCPenney started.
2: Yeah. So that skill is huge because it teaches you like 80% of everything you need to know about business. Because obviously, you don't have a business if you can't generate sales, right? You have a hobby. If you can't generate sales, you have a hobby. You don't have a business. So direct response marketing teaches you, you know, it teaches you like how to do market research and how to find products that people really want and how to figure out, you know, what to say to people to really persuade them to buy Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it teaches, it just teaches you like so many different things about business. So I would say that's where you want to start. And then the best resources for that are going to be basically studying the, you know, the old school direct response guys, guys like Dan Kennedy, Gary Halbert, uh, John Carlton, Eugene Schwartz, you mm-hmm. know, all these guys who basically a lot of them are, are dead now, but in, you know, the 20th century, whatever, they were able to use these principles to make a lot, a lot of money with direct mail before the internet was even a thing that's like a really great resource resource um the boron letters that's yeah that's gary halbert i believe yeah Mm -hmm. he went to prison um there's like a whole story behind it you know he went to prison for it was basically like not really his fault but he went to prison for like shady marketing practices and then he basically wrote this entire letter like these the series of letters to his son teaching him you know how to do the things that he's done to you know make the amount of money that he did so there's really really valuable information in there Um, you know, books obviously are really good. Cashvertising. Uh, that one's really good. Um, the copywriter's handbook, that one's really good. Uh, there's also a book called this book will teach you how to write better, which is like a really, it's like a really thin book. It's, it's really short. You can read it in like an hour or two. Uh, that's really good. It'll show you how to write more conversationally because basically copywriting is like the opposite of writing for school. So you kind of have to forget everything that you learned about writing in school. If you want to write copy, you know, write words that sell. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a really good resource. What else? Um, any, anything by the old school guys, you know, Dan Kennedy, he has uh, a bunch of books like no BS direct marketing. That's a really good one. Eugene Schwartz breakthrough advertising. That's it. That's a really, really good book. I'm actually reading that right now. Uh, mm-hmm. That's actually, it's really expensive. I believe that that one's like 135 bucks now or something like that, but that's a really good book. Um, just basically all these different things put together. And then I would say like the best resource, if you really want to get serious about it, you really want to get good at it is to find people who are you know already writing copy who are in, in their business, whatever, like copywriting is a big part of their business and then just study them study what okay. they're doing how they're doing it you know see how they're applying these principles of you know of sales of persuasion of human nature and just kind of like try to analyze things and see what they're doing and how they're doing it and then that will teach you you know how to you can basically apply that those same things for yourself knowing the basics and the fundamentals of copywriting is mm-hmm. legitimately a superpower in the real world it doesn't even matter if you don't want to get into business you have no interest it's basically understanding what to say and what to write to get what you want, whatever yeah. that may be. If that's a girl, you know, same kind of thing. It, yeah. The principles are all the same in how you persuade someone, um, and that's just really fascinating to me because it can just be applied to so many different facets of life. I mean, like mm. if you really think about it, everything is copied right now. Yeah, like everything. Yeah, yeah A true. tweet, a Facebook post, even like Instagram, yeah. like everything like that. If you're trying to get more people to engage with your post, you know, whatever your goal may be, if you can write copy then you will make more money no matter what you do. And you'll probably just live a better life because it's just it shows you how to get what you want with yeah. less effort and easier. People don't really understand it because it's like kind of a, a niche thing. Like most people don't even know what copywriting is. They would think that it's like a legal term.
1: Yeah, well, but- it's, it's, a, it's a confusing term because it does mean two different things. I'm, I'm in the world of music. If people say copyright, R-I-G-H-T, copyright. Yeah. Uh, copyright, W-R-I-T-E. That's a, that's a whole different ballgame.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I've gotten people because obviously like I, you know, I teach this stuff now. So, you know, I've gotten people saying to me that, you know, they've bought my courses and stuff and then they've done stuff like, you know, negotiate raises at their job. Like they use the stuff that I, you know, that I teach to negotiate raises at their job to, you know, a lot of people have, you know, jobs where they're like kind of selling B2B and they have to do a lot of emailing and stuff like that. They've applied stuff to their emails to, you know, sell more. I think one guy said he has like a, a sales job. I'm not sure exactly what he does. It's like some like industrial thing. And, you know, he bought my, one of my courses, he applied it. And he said that he had his best quarter, um, you know, last quarter, just, you know, because of that. And it's just like, if you're already doing anything where, you know, you want more, you want better response, you want people to respond better. You want people to be more engaged, more entertained and more persuaded, anything, this skill will go so, so, so far. And it's like, the reason I'm so big on it is because I strongly believe that having that skill first before I actually went and you know got into the actual online business side of things, that's really what allowed me to do things you know so fast because yeah. it's just that skill of knowing how to sell it's so 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 valuable.
1: So did you learn all of that just last year or were you already were you already interested in copywriting and had you already read some of those books that you mentioned or was that literally all just in a very yeah, short so period was- of time?
2: Yeah. So I'd say I, I first learned about it in October of 2017. And then that's when I really started like going deep learning about it. Okay. And then probably from like October, you know, till the end of 2017, I really just spent my time learning about it. Mm-hmm. And then 2018 is when I started actually putting all that, you know, all the things that I learned into action.
1: Okay. I guess like same as if uh, I get a lot of people asking me how to, how to become a rapper or become a singer. And the fir- first thing I always tell people is to master your craft. So get good at rapping get good at singing, you know, practice, learn, just keep doing that until you're actually dope because there's no point worrying about getting your stuff out there until the stuff you want to get out there is a certain level of quality. So it sounds like the advice is pretty parallel on that one. So in terms of the next phase, in terms of getting clients, so for the the copywriting, you said you reached out to various businesses. Can you talk us through a little bit more about that? What didn't work for you? What did work for you?
2: Yeah. So there's a lot of advice online about like how to get clients and stuff. Um, and when I was going through it, you know, I was reading all this stuff, trying to figure out all these different strategies, whatever. And I just couldn't find anything that I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like that could really work. Um, so what I did was I kind of just started cold emailing people. So what I would do, like okay. I've I like now I have like I've broken this down to like an, a very specific eight step process. But basically the, the gist of it is that, you know, you find businesses who are already – you know, using copy in some sense, like a good way to tell is if they're doing paid advertising, then, you know, they'll probably be more receptive to something like that. Because if you're trying to pitch like, I don't know, like a bakery, and they don't even have a, you know, a good website, and they don't even run ads of any sort, they're they're not going to know the value of good copy. And then at that point, you're going to be trying to sell them something that they're not even buying, you know, and then you don't want to be trying to sell something to someone who's not even interested in what you're selling you know, it's a hell of a lot harder than someone who already knows like, okay, you know, copywriters are valuable, you know, they've done valuable work for me. And I know that a good copywriter would be an asset to my business. Sure. So those people are going to be a lot easier to close. So basically the process is like you find businesses, you know, you decide on like what niche you want to write in. Like the niche that I wrote in was kind of like men's health and supplements and weight loss and stuff like that. Okay. So I picked that and then I decided that I was going to write emails because there's, there's all, there's different kinds of copy. Um, In my experience, email is one of the easiest ones because it gives you a lot of chances to mess up and still get things right. Because if you're sending out, say, like, like I do, like I send out daily emails, you know, mm-hmm. one every single day, at least. If something doesn't work, if I do something wrong, then it's not that big of a deal because I can just correct it the next day. Yeah. Right. Well, if it's something like a sales letter, you only really have one shot to get that right. So I went, you know, kind of that angle. And then I just basically started Googling, you know, businesses like that. And then I would okay. go and I would try to find who owns the business, who's like runs the marketing for this business. And then I would find that person and then I would try to find their email address. And then eventually, you know, it, and it takes a lot of digging. It's not, this is not like a fun process by any means. This is like, you know, you're kind of like in the, in the trenches doing the hard work. Sure. Um, so, you know, I'd find their email and then I would just send them a, you know, a pitch basically pitching my copywriting services. So the keys with that are, and people don't really think about this, but as someone who owns a business like that, they get pitched all the time, right, mm. and most of them they just ignore because obviously you can't take up everyone who pitches you, right so most people ignore them the, one of the main keys to you know actually not getting ignored is just being funny and incorporating humor into your emails. first, it, it like catches them off guard and they're like, oh, this is, this is you know not normal, this is weird, I'm gonna have to read the rest of this to see what's going on." <laughs> and then it also when you're trying to pitch someone, their first instinct is going to be to raise their defenses right because you know. That's like your first instinct. If someone's trying to sell you something, your immediate response is like, oh no, I don't want that. Like, you know, it's fine, whatever. But when you use humor, you kind of bring those, that guard down and you make people trust you, you know, even though they really have no reason to trust you. But it's just like, it's like, you know, how the brain works. When someone makes you laugh, you're going to be a lot more receptive to whatever they're saying to you. Sure. So I just did that and I would cold email like, like probably a couple dozen businesses a day. And then obviously most of them would either ignore or reject me. But eventually you do that enough you send out enough cold emails, eventually you're going to get a couple of clients. Sure. And that's basically you know, the route that I took. And then eventually I was able to you know, get some of them on the phone. Um, you know, the, the objective of the email is to get them on the phone so you can actually talk to them and close them on some sort of a deal. Mm-hmm. So most of the time I would you know, talk to them on the phone. They would be hesitant to you know, work with someone like that and start paying them thousands of dollars a month right off the bat, uh, sure. especially if you don't have any experience. So what I did was I'd be like, okay, you know, I'll do a trial. You know, we'll send a trial email out to your list, whatever, I'll charge this much for less than my normal rate. Mm-hmm. And then if it works, then we can you know talk about doing this more long term. If not, no worries. Part ways. Yeah. So that was a really good way to get people to kind of trust you because, you know, if once you get them results, then they don't really have any reason not to work with you. Right. If they're getting a high yeah. return on their investment in you, then they're going to want to continue doing that. Sure. So that's kind of the route that I took there.
1: So, Wow. <laughs> it's a it's a lot to take in, man. But it's, it's a really yeah, it's a really interesting story, man. Tell me a little bit more about so stepping away from the nitty-gritty intricacies of the business for a second, what kind of pushback or challenges within yourself or from other people, including family, including other students and peers, friends? Yeah. What kind what kind of pushback did you get leaving college especially? to go and pursue this thing, which is a little bit crazy. I mean, I'm interested in this because I used to be a management consultant. So I worked in uh, for a big you know, blue-chip consulting firm for three years after I, I finished university. And then in 2011, I took the big jump at the end of 2011 to go and become a full-time musician, which to anybody who knows me well wouldn't really have surprised them. But to people who didn't know me so well, it was kind of like, what are you doing? Like, you've got a very good, secure thing going here. And then music is like a, a crazy cesspool of, you know, like, well, why why would you want to do that, especially independently, you know, not with a record label or something like that. So I think there's a lot of parallels there. So what kind of yeah. challenges did you face?
2: I wish I had a better story here. Um, but I kind of knew that going into it, I kind of knew that people would not understand what I was doing, would yeah. have negative things to say, you know, would would just be kind of, pushing back the other way when I'm trying to, you know, haul ass forward this way. Yeah. Um, And so I kind of realized that. So I actually didn't tell anyone except for my parents uh, for about three months after I dropped out. So, I I mean, like, I I mean, to the extreme, my roommates didn't even know. I lived with, you know, in a house with four other guys Mm -hmm. and they didn't even know that I had dropped out. The people that you're surrounded by who are taking the normal path, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that. But when you stray from that, that makes them, you know, be like, dude, what the hell? Like, what are you doing? Why yeah. aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing the, the same thing that we're all supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. And it freaks them out. And then they're going to they're, they're gonna come back and they're going to hit you with negativity. They're going to tell you, you know, you can't do that. Or, you know, I don't know about that, man. You know, just like negative things that aren't, it's not going to like, you know, kill you. But you get hit with enough of that and it's discouraging. It, when yeah. you have people telling you that that's not what you should be doing, that that's not, you know, you're not, you're not going to be successful, that's not good for your brain. So no. I didn't tell anyone. I did not tell a single soul except for my parents and then once I had started making money and once I was, you know, I didn't even tell anyone until I was making like like at least 10 grand a month. And at yeah. that point I was like, all right, well I'm on track to do at least six figures this year. Who's going to say that's not a good idea? Like you're, <laughs> once you're making, once you're making money, then yeah. people people don't have negative shit to say maybe like behind your back. But to your face, they're not going to say anything like, "Oh, I don't think that's a good idea, man. I don't think it's going to no. work out." Really, like, I just, I, I, made 10k this month. You're, you're still broken in college. Like, that doesn't make sense.
1: I'd imagine the type of negativity you receive would change. It'll go from doubt to resentment, slash, jealousy, slash, envy, slash, accusations of some sort of, <laughs> some sort of wrongdoing. You know, because yeah. I, I exactly,
2: think that's the- exactly <laughs> that. That's that's exactly what happened too. That's yeah. so accurate because. Cause a lot of people, you know, once they found out about it, like I wasn't like super open about it necessarily, but people, you know, the people that I did tell stuff to obviously they, they talk to, um, I got a lot, especially from my friend's parents, which is kind of funny, you know, asking like, is he dealing drugs? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like it, 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 are, are you sure that, are you sure that this is legitimate? Like, yeah. uh, are you sure that he's not dealing drugs? And like, I, I, I love that. I love that so much just because it, it just shows that like, you know, if people think you're dealing drugs, then you must be doing something right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like if you, uh, it's like if you go to the gym and you train hard and you don't use steroids and then people start accusing you of it, it's like, you know, that's actually the yeah. best, that's the best compliment you can give me. <laughs> you, know? exactly, you walk past someone exactly. and you're like, Oh, I think, that, yeah, I, think he's, I think he's on something. And it's like, Oh man, I'm on 15 years hard work. That's all. <laughs> oh, I love
2: that. that that's, a, yeah. that's, a hot, that's a hot take right there.
1: <laughs> so one question I do want to ask bro is, uh, what, what motivates you? What drives you? What keeps you going?
2: Yeah, people ask me that a lot and I don't have like one specific thing. Um, I think part of it is like I just knew that this is something that I've wanted to do. And I know that, you know, going through school, like I was I was like pretty smart. I think I I was always in like the top of the class, whatever. And I knew that, you know, I, I was naturally gifted in some way. So I think what really motivates me now is that like just knowing that I have a limited amount of time on this earth and when it's done, it's done. And when that happens, am I going to be able to say, I used all of my natural gifts and talents and all the resources that were, you know, given to me, you know, that I was fortunate enough to have. Am I going to be able to say that I used everything to its fullest extent, that I achieved everything that I possibly could given, you know, the the hand that I was given, you know, did I play all the cards that I could, did I perform as well as I possibly could? And if not, you know, that's the scariest thing to me is, you know, laying on my deathbed thinking wow, you could have done more, you know, yeah. you could have you could have done this, you know, you wanted to do this, you could have done that, but you didn't. And now mm-hmm. it's too late. That yeah. is so scary to me. And then I mean, really, I just have like this, maybe it's like, a you know, narcissistic or egotistical need, like, I, I really want to be remembered. Like, I want okay. there to be a legacy behind my name. I want people to, you know, I don't want the, the day that I die to be the last time that my name ever gets uttered. Like, I want to have an impact on this world. And I just know that I'm capable of it. So at this point, it's like, all right, we'll go out and do it. Because if you don't, <laughs> then you're going to regret it. And then, you know, you're, you're going to tie with regret, which is like scary. That is so scary to me, man.
1: Yeah, man, I'm I'm, sm- I'm smiling as I'm, as I'm hearing this because it, it sounds so much like what I answer to people. It's interesting that you said that, you know, about it being potentially egotistical or na- narcissistic. It's like, I think some people can view it that way. But I do think that most people, if they're being honest, do want to leave some kind of legacy. I think how big people want that to be changes. I think some people, you know, not everyone wants that. You've got people who want the entire world to know who they are. And then you've got people who want, like with me, it's like, I want people who like what I do or potentially could like what I do to know who I am and to revere that.
2: Yeah. I I don't, I don't
1: care for some random Joe in the street to know me if they don't like my music or my work or anything that I do. Yeah. And And it's also like, like it's kind of similar.
2: Yeah. And it's also like the, you can get really mixed up between those two things, like leaving a legacy and then just wanting fame. And I don't I'm not interested in just like people knowing me for the hell of it. Like for no, I don't, yeah. if anything, I would almost prefer to be more low key. Mm-hmm. Now it's you know, it's kind of late for that now because I've, I've used my real name with everything. You know, I put my face out there. Um, it's too late for that now. So really, you know, I don't I don't want people to know me just for the hell of it. Like I want them to know me by my achievements, by my accomplishments, by things sure. that I've been able to do you know, people that I've been able to help communities that I've been able to, you know, help out to do whatever, you know, I want there to be like a long lasting impact, not just like, you know, Oh, people know about them.
1: Yeah. Do you have a big goal or vision? You know, when you're, I don't know, when you're 25, when you're 30, when you're 40, when you're 50, what's your, I mean, it's okay. It's okay if you don't have this, or, but do you have, <laughs> no, a, no. do you have like a bigger, a bigger picture
3: Plan, yeah, you know, so,
1: m- making money is all well and good. You know, everyone likes to and wants to make money. But obviously, beyond that, I think there's got to be a bigger driving force than.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I would say at first when I started, the goal was just to make money. Yeah. Right. I didn't have any sort of big legacy goals. I literally I just wanted to make money. Yeah. Like yeah I'm, that's you know, I'll, I'll be completely honest about that. Um, but then once I started doing that, then I realized like, OK, the potential is, it, you know, of, of what I can achieve. It goes way beyond me. Right. Mm-hmm. There are so many different things that I could do. So the first thing, like my first immediate goal is I want to, you know, I want to set my mom up so that she never ever has to work another day in her life. Um, okay. She has been there for me through everything, like everything. Yeah. Um, And I, I owe her the world. So that's my first one. You know, I want I want her to, you know, just be able to relax. I want her to be able to retire to, you know, not worry about money ever again. OK. Uh, so that's like my first thing. Uh, ultimately, though, I really want to have like I want to build something because once I dropped out of school and I saw how flawed the system was and how fast I was able to go from, you know, from nothing to, you know, making more than my professors Mm. without any sort of, you know, formal education. Like I realized that that whole system is broken. So what I really want to do is I want to build something that is extremely wide reaching, you know, worldwide, international, where people can come to learn these skills that have been so valuable to me that have allowed me to get to where I am today instead of having to go the traditional route of college, they can learn these extremely, extremely valuable skills. And it could be something like college, but there's no reason to learn so much of the stuff that we learn. Like hmm. it's just a complete waste of time. So I want to build a school of some sort or a university or something like that, where ultimately like people will say, you know, that system was broken and he like fixed it. Like I that's gotcha. ultimately that's ultimately like really what I want to do. Um, I also, I want to invest, you know, basically my my long-term plan is to kind of take all the money that I make from my online businesses mm-hmm. and invest them all into uh, multifamily real estate. Uh, so to kind of just like grow, I want to have like a, you know, a physical footprint in wherever it is that I end up, you know, landing. Gotcha. Um, and just, yeah, man, I mean, just, I, I want to help a, a lot of people get to the point where I'm at now. Because yeah. obviously, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going to, you know, wherever it is that I end up getting to, mm-hmm. but for some people, just getting to the point where I'm at now, that that would be plenty. That would be life changing. I mean, someone who hates their job. There's so many people who just hate their jobs. They hate what they do. They wake up miserable. Yeah. And I just I I feel for these people because I've felt like that before. I mean, I you know I've worked jobs that I hated. I've gone to school and I hated it. And you know it sucks. Like waking up and doing something for eight hours a day that you hate yeah. five days a week. And just living, you have two days basically out of, you know, your entire week that you get to actually enjoy and do things you want to do. Like that's just, that's terrible. And I want people to know that there's another way to do things and you can build things in a way that, you know, you can structure your life to do things that you love every single day. You know, I wake up excited as hell every single morning. I jump out of bed. Like it sounds like dramatic, but I literally like (laughs) jump out of bed excited to go and like tackle the day. And I want more people to feel like that because ultimately if you don't feel like that, then I feel like how can your life be worth living if you only have, you know, two days out of the seven yeah. that you can actually do things that you want to do? I don't know. I don't know what exact percentage that is, but that's a small percentage of your of your you know lifetime. Yeah. Right.
1: Well, five, five for two is not a good trade. I'm what I call an optimistic realist. So I don't believe that every single person in the world can necessarily make a full time living doing something they absolutely love and adore. But I do believe that everybody can do something that they don't hate. Sure. I I,
2: I would say I got really lucky where, you know, I get to do something that I love doing that. I think that I'm like somewhat naturally good at. And that's very rare. That's Mm. very, very rare. But at the very least, I agree. You should be able to at least do something that you don't hate. If you don't hate it, then I mean, obviously, that's not ideal. Ideally, you would love what you do. Yeah, exactly. But if you can get to the point where you at least don't hate it, you're still going to be way happier than like, you know, 80% of people because like most people, they hate their jobs, man. And it's the, the older I get too. And the more I talk to, you know, older people who have jobs and stuff like this, it's just like, I get sad, man. I get sad talking to some of these people. Like it's, I'm like, dude, how do you do that? Like, how do you, how have you not thought I want to do something else? Like, this isn't how I want to live the rest of my life. I don't want to work 40 hours a week doing something I hate until I'm 60 and then have, you know, maybe have enough to retire by that point. And then by that point, you're too old to even enjoy, you know, most of the great things in life.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one blessing that you've had coming to this realization in your early 20s is that, yeah, I mean, you've you've managed to do that at a time. Obviously, once people are in their 30s, certainly in their 40s, you know, I'll have a lot of people who are, who have other responsibilities. You know, you've got dependents, they'll be married, they'll have children, you've got all these other things. And that can obviously now lock people into a certain way of life. So even if they did want to do something, the risk to reward ratio might then reasonably seem like, okay, like if it's only me taking the risk, then that's yeah, one thing. That's but true. it's like, yeah, if you're going to put other people out potentially, then I can certainly, uh, I can certainly sympathize with that. It's fortunate oh, to, to pick to pick that up early. You know, it's fortunate to pick that up early. And as we oh, were dude, saying earlier, so
2: I feel so incredibly blessed. Like, yeah. just for just whatever all the things that have happened in my life that have got me to this point. Like, I'm I'm so thankful, man. I mean, it's mm. it's just crazy.
1: How do you think the internet? And social media and all that has changed the future of let's say careers and business and how you think it's going to continue to affect it in the future you've kind of grown up mostly mostly with it yeah you're, you're kind of yeah. like a internet native we could say
2: so i'll say the big things are that the internet has made information accessible to everyone yeah you know before if you wanted to learn about something you had to you know there were high barriers to entry you had to pay a lot of money you had to you know go to a college go to a, a higher institution of learning buy textbooks now you can learn basically anything online mm-hmm. and most of it you can learn for free so that's the that's the, the first major thing is that it's completely removed the barriers of entry to learning new things which I think is a beautiful thing and it's kind of sad because obviously most people don't use the internet like that no. but when you do you know you're able to get so much for so little you know it's just your time. Right. I mean, anyone can open up. I mean, obviously not everyone is fortunate enough to have their own laptop, have their own Wi-Fi connection. But I mean, even when I was when I was getting you know started with all this stuff, my laptop broke and I went to the library and used the free computers of the library every day. Oh, say absolutely. that's the, the first the first main thing. And then the second main thing is that it's lowered the barriers of entry to starting a business because mm. you can start a lot of businesses. You know, back in the day before the Internet, you had to have a lot of money saved up to start a business or you had to take out loans. So it, it was it, very, very expensive to start a business. Now you can do it for free. I mean, and when mm. I say free, I mean, there are businesses you can literally start for free, like freelance copywriting. When I was doing that, that was hundred percent free. Yeah. There was, I did not have to pay for a single thing. So
1: did you even, did you set up a website or anything like that even, or no. you were just going cold?
2: No website. I think the only expense that I did have was I made like a G Suite account on Google so that I could have my own um, like custom domain email address, oh, which yeah. I believe is like five or 10 bucks a month. It's like mm-hmm. really cheap. So yeah, there's businesses that you can start for like no money and you know very little money too. So the barriers to entry, you, know, you can educate yourself on how to start a business for free. Mm-hmm. You can start a business for free mm-hmm. or for very little money. And then, you know, where I think that's heading is that all these things that people are used to paying, you know, big companies for, um, like, I'm trying to think of a good example, you say like, like fitness, something like that, like, if you were just, you know, in the past, you would have had to pay like a personal trainer, and it would have been, you know, you had to find someone in your area, it would have been a lot more expensive, you have to meet up with them. Now, you know, you can find a personal trainer online, that can, you know, teach you all this stuff for, you know, significantly less cost. And then if you're someone who wants to get into something like that, if fitness is your thing, then you can be that person. You can provide that service to people. And there's so many more people out there that are looking for something like that than are providing that service. So I think where it's going is that instead of, you know, necessarily everyone going to these big companies for certain things, they're going to be going to like, you know, small time producers, small time business owners who are doing stuff like this. Um, And I think it's in in general, it's going to be a win win for for everyone because yeah. people are going to be able to support themselves by you know doing something they love um you know the people who are buying for them are going to be able to get more personalized and more i guess you know less like corporate help like it's just a better feel when you're working with someone who is you know more personal than like a big corporation I guess yeah and i think that it's just going to it's going to open up for the people who really are driven and who really want it it's going to you know the internet makes it near impossible to fail long term if you are really, really, really driven, because yeah. you can mess up so many times, you can do so many things wrong, but the internet just allows you to just keep going and keep going and keep trying and keep testing new things. And it doesn't cost you that much money with, you know, in the past you would have had to, if you, if you failed starting a business in the past, like in the seventies or something,
1: yeah, it was brutal. you were
2: out tens of thousands of dollars and you probably mm. wouldn't even try it again because you're so discouraged. Now you can start a business, you can fail like, you know, within a couple of weeks for, $100 say yeah instead of $10,000 and then okay You failed sure, but now you learn from your failures and now you're better equipped to try it again Yeah, and you do and that it, over and over and over again and Eventually, you're gonna you know, you're gonna find something that works really well.
1: Yeah, and you can kind of fail Somewhat privately depending on how you do it, right? It's not like it's some um, big sure. it's not like, you know if, if that's what people are worried about because let's be honest one thing that stops a lot of people doing a lot of things that they Want to do is fear Often fear of what other people are going to say, how they're going to be judged, what's going to happen if they fail. People are going to laugh at them. People are going to make, you know, that's, that stops people doing a a lot of things, right? Probably some of them, you know, a little bit of public shaming is good because we don't want people doing everything. But um, when it comes to, you know, career or pursuing something that people want, then I think it's a, I think it's a shame that people worry so much. You're someone who strikes me as someone who doesn't, doesn't worry too much about what other people think about them. And Not uh, anymore, man. Not yeah. anymore.
2: I mean, that's, that's something you have to learn. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, I wasn't always like that. Okay. You know, it's something you have to learn. And that, that's probably maybe another reason that I didn't tell anyone when I was first getting started is because, you know, if I did fail, if, you know, all the things that I thought that they were going to say, uh, you know, all these negative things, if, if, you know, they ended up being right, then I wouldn't have to face that, you know, head on. That's just like something mm-hmm. that I would have to deal with in my own head. It's not like something that, you know, I have to go out and face. Sure. Uh, and that makes it, yeah, it does. That that definitely reduces the the fear factor, I would say.
1: Awesome, man. And uh, so when you're not when you're not hustling, when you're not grinding, when you're not tweeting, what do you do to relax Nate? What do you do when you want to chill? What else are you into?
2: Yeah, so um basically what I found was I kind of dropped everything to focus on this when I was first getting started, like a year ago. Okay. So all my hobbies, like you know, all the things that I like doing, you know, my friends, like hanging out with friends, even stuff like that, going out drinking. Like I kind of stopped doing all that to focus 100% on this. Mm. So once I started making money and like I was, you know, not working 12 hours a day and I was maybe working like eight hours a day, whatever, I realized I was like, okay, so I need to find some other stuff to do uh, to, you know, other hobbies and stuff because I don't want to be this super one dimensional person whose only thing is, is business, is online business. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I got into boxing. Um, I do that a couple of times a week. I, you know, I have a trainer, do to classes and stuff like that. Um, that's been a, a big thing just because, it's, you know, it takes up a lot of my time um, and it's something that I, you know, I really wanted to do for a while that I just kind of never really did. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I really love doing. Um, skiing, skiing is another thing that the, I've loved skiing since I was like, you know, a little kid. Okay. So n- now that I have, you know, a little bit of money and I can actually afford to go skiing, like, for example, on what today's like Tuesday on Thursday, I'm flying out to Whistler, Canada and I'm meeting a couple guys that we were going skiing. Um, so I love doing that. Uh traveling in general, uh you know now I don't enjoy traveling as much as I thought I would
1: okay um, I, th- I think i, I saw that, I think I saw you tweet something about this earlier today,
2: yeah, 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 so I thought that you know once I started making money i my my plan was to just like piece out of the u s just like start <laughs> traveling like just leave, and so in May of last year, I you know packed my bags and I booked a one way flight to New Zealand, and I was okay. like, you know what I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna travel on whatever I was planning on being gone for the entire you know, rest of 2018. Uh, what ended up happening was I went to New Zealand and I was like, okay, I mean, this place is dope. It's beautiful. People are awesome, whatever. But I found that traveling really takes away from my ability to get work done. You know, I'm okay. constantly searching for Wi Fi, constantly trying to find a good place to work, constantly, you know, just losing Wi Fi and all these different problems that kind of are associated with traveling. And then, not spending you have travel time, um, you know, when you can't necessarily work and it's, it's kind of a bitch sometimes. Yeah. So I realized that that really took away from what I really love doing. I didn't even realize that I loved it this much until I started traveling. Where yeah. I, I couldn't do it as much as I wanted to. And then I, that that started like making me anxious. And like, I was like tweaking out, like I can't work right now. I'm like freaking out and stuff. So I was like, all right, so traveling's dope. But I found something that I think I love doing even more than traveling. So I, I, know, I stayed in New Zealand for like two three weeks. And then I came back to the States. Um, it was just like, it was really funny because we had had like a, you know, like a going away party before I left and then like three (laughs) weeks later I'm back. So that was funny. But yeah. And then other than that, I mean, just like playing like basketball, racquetball, um, like doing stuff like that. Just like hanging out with my friends, just, you know, hanging out in like my apartment, just watching random shit on YouTube. Um, you know, going out drinking sometimes. I don't, I don't drink as much as I used to just because it, again, it's like kind of the same thing with traveling, uh, being hungover limits my ability to, to do the things that I love doing. Those are really the main things. And this year, I also, I want to get my pilot's license. I want to learn how to fly planes. Oh, wow. So, because I also want to, you know, I want to, this is like kind of counterintuitive to what I just said, I guess, but I want to travel the world by plane. Like I want to, okay. and I want to be the it. So um, that's something I want to do this year. And then, yeah, I'd say those are probably the main things. I mean, you obviously have like random stuff like here and there, but I'd say those are my main, main other things that I'm into.
1: Awesome, man. And uh, cool. We're, we're coming up to about an hour, man. So let the people know where they can find you.
2: Yeah. So um, if you want to find me on Twitter, my handle there is at Schmidt, S C H M 7 D T. There's a, the seven there for the I. And then my website is Nateschmidt.io, N A T E S C H M I D T.io. Uh, and then there you can get on my email list. I send out daily emails kind of explaining, you know, the stuff that I do. Um, and yeah, those are the main places.
1: Awesome, man. Really good to speak to you, brother. Great to have you on the podcast.
2: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for having me. It was a blast. You're welcome, man. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Sounds good.
3: Have a good one. Peace. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.